0: We are the carers for our neighbors. We are servants in our labor. We are counting well the cost of living for the cost.
1: Hey there Dunker punks! thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the podcast. My name is Emmett, my pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm one of the regular hosts of the show. And can I just say that I am so happy that we are back for another season of telling stories of God moving in the church and in the world. Today's stories are brought by Annalisa Gross. Annalisa is a pastor at Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, and she's a member of the Steering Committee of Women's Caucus, a network of feminists who identify with the Church of the Brethren. Annalisa is lifting up the voice of two women in the Church of the Brethren to hear their reflections on what it means to be leaders in the church, especially as women. Annalisa speaks first with Lauren Saganis-Cohen, the pastor of Pomona Fellowship Church of the Brethren in Pomona, California, and then Carol Lindquist, a fellow member of the Women's Caucus Steering Committee. All right, with that, let me hand it over to Annalisa and Lauren.
2: My name is Lauren Saganis Cohen, and I am with Pomona
3: Fellowship Church of the Brethren. Thank you, Lauren. When did you know that you are a leader in the church? That's a
2: really good question. My gut response to that would be the day I was ordained. And I'm going to go with it, um, whether or not there are theological or ecclesiologically challenging ways to think about it because, you know, the day I became an ordained minister, that was the day that the call that God placed on my heart to be in ministry was affirmed and lined up with the affirmation and the call of my community saying, we see that call on your heart and we affirm that you have these gifts, so let's honor that together. And leadership and power go hand in hand, right? And so um, the Church of the Brethren has kind of a sticky relationship with power and authority. Um, we've always been a little suspicious of uh, of human given power or human uh, taken power. And um, ministers are, in some ways, given that power by their congregations, by their communities, by by fellow believers, um, there's accountability and there's trust and there's responsibility um, that goes along with that. And so while I I think that you can be a leader in a lot of different ways in the church um, beyond just ordained ministry Um, For me, I think that was probably the day when I, when it really hit home for me, um, that your community has affirmed that God has given you gifts and the, the ability to be a leader in your own way in the church.
3: That, that theme of an inner call. Being matched by an external call is one that I've heard a lot of people talk about, Great. and I think that there. I, I think another common story for, especially from women, is this reaction of like a leader. Well, I'm not a leader, <laughs> of course. Like, we're, yeah, uh huh. I mm-hmm. just do what's needed, and I think, in particular for women, having that formal recognition probably does help us accept the title of leader. Um, Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to reflect upon about gender. Not that you can imagine a question as if you were male instead of female, but how do you think that might impact your own understanding of leadership? I mean, I
2: guess another thing that I would add, kind of including but beyond the gender question, Is surprised that that was my gut reaction, was my ordination, because if I would have let myself think about it a little bit more, I might have said, well, it was the day I was called to be a pastor, which is different than the day I was ordained, right? Um, And before I became a pastor, I was a chaplain, and I was doing um, chaplaincy kinds of ministries, which feels different in the church than pastoral leadership does. Um, And so in some ways, maybe I wouldn't have if I would have let myself think about this too long in advance, maybe I I would have come back to you and said, well, it was a day I was called to be a pastor because that's like a really clear, like pastors are leaders in the denomination, but also of your specific congregation of your specific flock. Right. Um, And that's a responsibility that has been um, impressed upon me ever since day one of, of, uh, leading this congregation, uh, which is my first congregation as pastor. Um, and so, um, some days I, I carry that well and other days I don't. <laughs> um, so I'll just, I'll, that was the other thing I'll just add to that, to my, my first response leadership as it intertwines with gender, but also age, um, is another thing that I wrestle with a lot. Um, the idea that, um, you know, my congregation has called a woman to be their pastor and called a young woman to be their pastor. Um, I was 30, 31 when they um, they called me. And um, thankfully, I have my experience with my church has been nothing but positive in terms of how those dynamics um, are at play. But where I struggle a lot is with folks who I'm meeting for the first time, either from the community or from just outside the church, um, really questioning, well, how, you said you're the pastor, and how, how, how can that be? Um, you're too young looking, or um, you're not who I expected, whether that's said verbally or non-verbally. Um, and I have to keep coming back to my congregation has called me to this. Like, they are not doubting. They trust me. They've given me this responsibility to lead them. And so even if folks outside of the church, outside of the church or even outside of my congregation, you know, would question that, it's not about them. Um, yeah, so that's, that's another way that I, I really, for me, my personal experiences, age and gender uh, are really um, intertwined. And i that will change throughout my life, obviously, as I get older and things like that. But um, yeah, those are really in a point for me right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of reactions to clever things you said, including that's such a good point that one of those will just change. It will just keep changing. And what a what a good opportunity that you have to be able to reflect. Like someday you will be able to reflect on like five decades of being a pastor or being a leader, you know, however you choose mm-hmm. to do that vocationally. And you'll, you'll see that it was different each step along the way. Yes. I believe that. I believe that for myself too. And I just think it's really interesting. And one thing that I have always felt because of, because I've been hanging around in the church is that I've always been young. Like we are always so young compared to most people in the room. Yes. And only in the last couple of years, I'm older than you. I turned 38 yesterday. Um, And in the last few years, especially being married and then also like getting to my mid-30s, I feel like all of a sudden it doesn't come up anymore all the time Mm. that I'm young. And sometimes I am like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm not anymore. But I've been expecting it because it's been that way my whole life. And I just think that's a funny aspect of age that's unlike other parts of ourselves.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's not to say that, you know, older folks don't experience ageism and, um, and things like that. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. And I'm sure, and I, I have heard older women, you know, pastor colleagues say, I've heard from people, you're too old to be a pastor. So, yeah. you know, it's, it does go both directions, but like, what is the ideal, like, what is normal? What is the exactly. ideal? the exactly. And the answer is there isn't one, right? Right, right. Yeah.
3: Okay, so then also one thing you were saying about um, how people perceive you when you're out in the community, I think that's really interesting because your congregation and your district and your denomination have all called you and recognized you as a leader. Mm -hmm. But when you're out in the world, you're with other people, even other faith leaders who they haven't put that title upon you. And I just find that really interesting because leading especially as brethren and you've already acknowledged that brethren are a little bit suspicious about power um Mm -hmm. it means so much to us theologically that we have called one another that we are all the priesthood of all believers this sense of equality but there is in wider christendom or christianity some sense of like it matters that you're ordained that matters a lot And so I just find that really interesting because I feel like when I'm in ecumenical settings, especially, I would have one of the lowest senses of like being clergy, including what we like, like we're not going to wear a corner or something. Um, But then it feels like those would be situations in which it could be really nice to have something like that to fall back upon. Especially, I was also a chaplain, I was pastor. So I was a chaplain in my 20s and I was like such a kid. And it often worked in my advantage. I have a nose ring. I had like short, spiky hair. I'd walk into the hospital room and somebody would be like, wow, interesting. That's my chaplain. And yeah. so they were open in a way that they wouldn't have been otherwise. But yeah, just, I don't, I don't know what my question isn't for you and all of that other than I appreciate recognizing that experience and wonder if you want to just say more about the faith culture that we carry and just what it's like then to be in ecumenical or interfaith settings, yeah
2: I mean, don't get me wrong, there are definitely times when you know I 'll meet folks for the first time, and when I tell them I'm pastor, I get really positive responses, right, especially from other young people, um, which I love being able to do that I, you know i the the, the 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 response of "Wow, you're the pastor, that's really cool I, I love that response as opposed to you're the pastor or, you know, you can't possibly be the pastor. You look like you're 12, you know, like those are different responses. Right. Um, Something else. I mean, I'll say in more ecumenical circles, like um, I find myself doing something that we don't really do in brethren circles, which is I will use my title. I will use Reverend more. Um, we don't really do that in the Church of the Brethren. Like we're sister and brother, you know. We don't address each other with our formal titles, even though we have them. You know, those of us who are who are ordained, um, or even at annual conference, like there have been questions about like why are we referring to Bethany uh, professors as doctors and things like that when they are they they have those degrees, right? Um, but but anyway, I will in ecumenical circles like. I will use those titles because I know it will carry more weight. And even before anyone even has met me, if they know that I have some credential, I have some title, like that will give more weight to my participation, to my, to what I say, to how I carry myself in the room. Um, And I'll do, uh, yeah, I'll do that in in ecumenical circles um, almost exclusively more than I do in brethren circles. And I, I know some brethren folks might have strong opinions about that. Um, and as as a woman, as a young person, I, I feel like I need all I can, all the tools that are out there for me to uh, operate with the authority and the, the professionalism that is necessary for me to just get my job done. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, that totally makes sense. That, that makes sense, you're, you're reading the room, or you're responding to the context that you're in.
0: Carol Lindquist, a member of Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, and a fellow member of the Women's Caucus Steering Committee, and I met six feet apart from each other, and at least 100 yards from a flock of chickens. You'll hear the rooster occasionally, and you might notice that my voice sounds strange because I'm wearing a mask. When did you know that you are a leader in the church? I'm not sure I've ever felt like a leader
4: in the church, but since I was a kid, I have felt the importance of leadership in church and a responsibility to contribute to that and I think back in uh, when I was in in high school uh, we were at Lincolnshire Church of the Brethren and I was the youth representative to the church board and in those days that was the 60s you would dress up like I would put on a dress I mean we'd always wear dresses we didn't have anything else to wear but I would always wear a dress and you know heels and all that kind of stuff to go to a church board meeting now of course I wear t-shirts and jeans <laughs> And I remember Darl Yost, who uh, was an important person in my life, recognizing my being there. And at one point I said something, and he was encouraging of that. And so it made me want to sit up and listen to the actions within that church board. This would have been like 1964, 1965, someplace in there. Anyway, so recognizing that what you say matters has been the driver in terms of my sense of church leadership. Every time that I have had an opportunity to contribute my voice, I have felt an obligation to do that, but also with a sensitivity that you can talk too much. Mm -hmm. Good leadership is listening and listening with both your heart and your head as much as it is speaking or even acting. And, you know, obviously we hear that whole thing of what leaders say matters, That's a pretty frequent understanding of where we are politically right now. But that's always been the case. And in the Church of the Brethren, When we think about where leadership influences, it could be designated leadership. It can be called leadership. I've never been in a high elected position. I've never worked for the denomination at a high level. But I've contributed in multiple districts, multiple churches in many different ways, moderator, church, board, person in the pew. And so leadership for me is taking that responsibility the care, to listen closely to what's going on, to speak wisely, as wisely as you can, to what's going on, to listen with an open heart to other people's assessments of what's going on, and then to act on that. I get a little tired of a lot of talk. You know, there's that statement, after all is said and done, there's a lot more said than done. And I think we need to say a lot, but we also need to Do a lot. So when I think about church leadership, I feel like we call each other into leadership and I've been called into leadership by saying show up, Mm. give it your best, share what you can in ways that are helpful. And if you are feeling unhelpful, step back, quiet that voice Mm. until you can be helpful. And in that way then you can provide influence in ways that benefit individuals and benefit the whole. My background is educational leadership. When I graduated from Manchester as an English teacher, prepared to be an English teacher, I did that, and I put a husband through seminary teaching in Chicago area and all that. But when I, in our first pastorate, decided to go back to school and go into women's studies, that first semester... I realized I really wanted something a little bit more focused than it was, and that would have been in the mid-70s. And the women's movement was really coming into its own with a lot of questions. And so here I am, the pastor's wife, taking this women's studies program, which was kind of interesting for the people in the community. But then I switched it to educational administration. And because it was a field I liked and I wanted to do some things in that. It wasn't too long until I was principal of a a large high school and one of the few high school female principals in the state. And so I would go to like a collection of principals. We'd meet at a restaurant for some kind of big interaction. And I remember one time it was a waitress who came in and took our orders because it was a lunchtime thing. And I thought she looked so out of place. I just Mm -hmm. was struck by Everyone else in that room was a male, and here she is. And I thought, wow, she's just so such a contrast to those around me. And then I realized I'm wearing this pink suit. And so my recognition that I am an outlier was very profound at that point. And I had to start wrestling with that. What is my female role in all of this? What is my gender-neutral role in all of this? Where do I fit in? And that was the first time I realized that I stuck out like a sore thumb. And there were there were men in the room who were bullies. There were men in the room who were very sexist. There were men in the room who were um, easy to get along with, although they didn't take me seriously. I mean, I had all these dynamics going on. And I had to learn to navigate that because what I had to figure out was, do I fit in because of who I am? Do I fit in because of what I do? Do I fit in because of what kind of power I might have over others? Why do I fit into a group? And I think about that with the the women's roles in in our denomination. What is it about those women do we value? Is it because their handwriting is neat that we have them take the notes? Because men just don't write as nicely as, we, you know, we have all these assumptions that women can multitask, and I think they do. But we, we tend to think about what is the usefulness of a woman in a job. And I think often we do that without intending. Who can do it? Well, she can do it. She's able to handle a lot of stuff, or she's not as busy as, or whatever our rationale is for choosing a female, we have to ask that question. What is it about that person that makes them of value? Mm -hmm. And is that the same standard then that we apply to men? I think it's a disgrace that in the Church of the Brethren, we have to fuss about gender roles represented, particularly in top leadership levels. I think that's a disgrace because it means that we are sorting out who can do what, making judgments about that, labeling people because of that and my sadness with that is that and my anger with that is that we don't have advocates to move us away from that clearly we have a pattern of women get nominated for top roles in the denomination and they are not elected to those and we have overt actions to prevent that from happening you know when we've had two women nominated and we have someone from the floor who's chosen and that conversation i think is the type of thing where we should all look to see what practices are getting in the way of having the best people chosen rather than the right gender chosen. And um, so I I think that's a, a disgrace within the denomination. To me, that sense of examining what is the role of women in the Bible in particular, and obviously we have interpretations of Scripture that place women in different Positions of authority and of power, but there is no question in my mind but what it doesn't matter what your gender or gender identity might be, if you are able to contribute the gifts to the the betterment of the denomination and to the work of the denomination, the mission of the church, then you should be able to be in those positions. We're not comfortable with that. We're not comfortable with female voices at a podium. We're not comfortable with different approaches than pretty much the male pattern that we've seen. We've gotten to the point where that fight almost feels like it's not worth having because it's not going anywhere. I think it's a tremendous loss. Mm
0: -hmm. Both in your professional world in education and in the church are communities where women are by far doing the bulk of the work and men often have the positions of authority. And I would be interested in you comparing and contrasting the nuances of education and the church. Because in the world of education, there is no Bible. There is no scripture to interpret and therefore justify or make reason of how we organize ourselves. But there are also rules written and unwritten. In a lot of ways,
4: I think that, um, in particular, public education has taken on many of the expectations of organized Faith communities. Many places, churches are simply either not connected to each other or they are unclear about what their, their purpose might be. And schools in particular are getting much more focused about the educational and nurturing services that they provide for kids. Interestingly enough, as that is increasing, you're seeing more and more women in leadership roles mm-hmm. within schools. My dad was a superintendent. I've been an assistant superintendent in all those kind of roles. And what we're seeing is a shift away from the management of children and youth into the education and nurturing of children and youth, because there's no place else in society for that to be happening. You know, in the nineteen fifties and sixties when my dad was a superintendent, it really was pretty pretty clear you send kids to school, their teachers teach them, they come home, they come home to a family, a community that had other parts that they contributed to that the development of those kids. Anymore as our culture has shifted, Schools have had to pick those things up. And so you have many women, interestingly enough, and I don't know if there's a a causal relationship there, or if it's just a correlation there, but as we think about the emerging roles of women in faith organizations, they have always been the cookie bakers, the Bible school teachers, Mm -hmm. the things that are the unsung heroines of this work often haven't been the designated pastors. They may not be preaching on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So as we're seeing that, as we keep pushing that door open, to have women's voices be heard more frequently in the roles that have been primarily held by men in the past, and also as we're seeing men pick up the roles that women have played in the past, I think that that we can really get back to the heart of what our faith communities can do.
0: Women became more common in the pulpit, and simultaneously the church was falling from its position of power within our culture. Mm -hmm. And so... As the role of pastor has less less glory to it, women get to have it. And I think the same thing is happening in public education. As it is being attacked and dismantled in so many ways, women are also allowed access to these positions. I think of that statement
4: that Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire mm-hmm. did. She just did it backwards and heels. Mm-hmm. And I have huge confidence in the women that I know to pull off tremendous accomplishments. Mm -hmm. I think it's an unfair circumstance when that is expected on top of everything else that women have been historically expected to do Uh, in a time of transition. COVID has clearly pointed that out. The roles of women during COVID where they are doing their employment, they're also teaching their kids. and, And I see it firsthand in a whole lot of families that I know where women are expected to do more, to do it better, all those things. Mm -hmm. That may be a great transition point for all of us. Let women assume different roles. And if that means we change the organizations or the institutions that call them into their work, so be it. Just because the church is less prominent in communities, organized religion is less prominent than it was, now women can have it because men kind of have walked away. Good grief, Let's build it into something else, you know? It reminds me a little bit of, of a of maybe an abandoned house. Mm-hmm. There is great potential in an abandoned house. And whomever might go in to refurbish it and restore it and make it different, it can still have great value. It just is going to be different than it was before. It does feel demeaning in some ways that... Mm-hmm women tend to get the leftovers and I I wrestle with that because it feels like just because you're done with it. When we think about privilege being the lack of obstacles that we have to encounter, men have had for the most part the privilege of walking away from the work that's gotten hard.
1: Annalisa, thank you so much for creating the space for these stories to be told on the podcast. And Lauren and Carol, thank you for being willing to share them. I think that Annalisa's first question to both Lauren and Carol, when did you first know that you are a leader in the church, is one that we should all sit with. Really. Sit with it for a second. Perhaps for some of us, the honest answer is not yet, and that's okay. But for many others, we have been blessed and sometimes burdened with opportunities to have that sacred responsibility of leading. Then again, those opportunities do not arise equally. I am going to be honest that when I asked myself that same question that Annalisa had posed, well, as a man, it is really hard to point out that first occasion when I felt validated as a leader. It just kind of seems like something that was always assumed. And let's be honest again, it's kind of something that maybe wasn't ever really earned. So I was struck by the contrast with Lauren's answer, that she didn't feel like a leader until the day that she was ordained. And later she followed that up by describing How important it has been when she's been claiming the mantle of leadership that she's been able to back that up by pointing to that title that comes with ordination, Reverend. I mean, can you imagine if most men didn't receive the validation they needed to feel like leaders until they reached the very pinnacle of a lengthy process of spiritual and communal discernment and formal education and calling? men couldn't rely on the encouragement they received to lead just by virtue of being men, there would probably be a lot fewer men leading the church, and that probably would not be a bad thing. In her conversation with Annalisa, Carol calls on us to identify the assumptions that go into all of this, and how those assumptions interact with the power and hierarchy that already exists in the church and how those interactions reinforce those dynamics into the future. She invites us to question what value we ascribe to people when we pick them out to contribute. How do those value judgments differ based on gender identity and what broader patterns do they arise from and reflect and ultimately produce and reproduce and on and on and on. And ultimately maybe Really, I don't mean maybe. Is this a system that churns the thankless labor of women into influence and visibility for men? And does that have something to do with the hollowed out and sorry church that has been left behind? I'm sorry to be dismal, and I don't wanna leave it at dismal. So I'm really grateful for Carol's reminder that that hollowed out church is really just a vacant home. It's one that we can move into and build back into whatever we want it to be. It's not going to be the same as what came before it, but why on earth would we want it to be? Thanks again for listening. The Dunker Punks podcast is a bunch of spiritual house flippers from across the Church of the Brethren who are excited about the spaces that we can build to offer refuge and joy and in those sacred ways, honor God. This episode was created by Jacob Kraus, who creates our music and edits the show, Suzanne Lay, who manages production, and Arlington Church of the Brethren and On Earth Peace, who sponsored the show. Our audio contributor this week was Annalisa Gross, and I am Emmett Wachowski, eldred one of the hosts. You can find us online at arlingtoncob.org DPP and on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe and leave a comment. You can find and follow us on social media at DunkerPunksPod. And please email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org with any reactions or suggestions for the show. Lastly, there are lots of other really great ways that you can get involved with the podcast. I'll talk about two. First, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website. Again, that's arlingtoncob.org. dpp You should also consider donating at bit.ly slash dpp underscore donor. Contributions go towards honoring the time and effort of our mostly young adult contributors to live into our commitment of honoring young adult voices. Thanks again for listening, and we really hope that you'll tune in again. Our next episode airs on Saturday, April 9th, and it's a really, truly exciting one the third annual installment of our much-beloved Dunker Punks Love Feast, so don't miss it.